0: You know, it's a huge responsibility for the leadership of any church to decide what to spotlight, what to draw the attention of the congregation to, and that's that's exactly what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, is there's a team of us that um, essentially put the spotlight somewhere each and every week, some aspect of God's glory, some, some direction, some portion of scripture, and... Um, and I want you to know that your uh, your elder team, your leaders, really pray over that. Really take seriously the responsibility um, of all the different things we could talk about, of all the different ways we could invest the next fifty-two weeks together on a Sunday morning, of all the energy we could point. Where where should we point it? And we really uh, we really pray for godly wisdom on that and godly direction on that. Uh, most years, start of the year, I have done something to fan into flame the spiritual discipline of Bible reading. Um, because what I know is, um, is that that's so valuable. It's so so um, going to change the rest of your year if we can get that going. And I was going to forego that because we're in this, uh, this adoption month that we're looking at. Um, and I really had a sense from God that, you know, we're going to still talk about this. Because if we take this Bunsen burner and we put it under Bible reading, and that begins to heat up, it actually fuels and fans into flame all that we're going to talk about with orphan care. So uh, so I'm going to take a, a brief few moments to um, to kind of stir you along those lines. I want you to imagine for a moment you see a man. He's gaunt, he's immobile, and he's sickly. And he's sitting in a very comfortable chair. You approach him, and you ask him what the problem is, and he begins to explain to you what you already suspect. And so you decide, because of his predicament, to offer him food and water, to which he replies, Oh, no. No, thank you. I just filled up on Sunday. To which you exclaim, That was six days ago. You need something to drink. You need something to eat. Many people approach their spiritual food in this same way. They're utterly shocked at their weakness to fight off the deadly effects of sin. They're struggling to have clarity of direction. They're foggy in their thinking. And they wonder what the problem could possibly be. You know what they often do? They schedule an appointment with a pastor to talk to him about it. You know what pastors tend to do? Eat. They tend to point them to the Word of God. Eat. That's what your problem is. You're foggy-headed because you're malnourished. Eat to Live was a sermon series from 2012. It's still up on our podcast if you want to go and listen to it. It was an urgent call for God's people to once again feast on the Word. Daily Bible reading is not a bonus for the super Christian. It's an essential part of every growing Christian's life. Now, we live in this really, really unique time and and, and age where Bible studies, sermons, podcasts, devotional books, worship CDs are readily available and fairly easy for us to get at. Most of us have an income. We could go down right now and buy a book on prayer. We could probably order some kind of a worship CD. We could subscribe for free to unlimited podcasts and sermons. We could be listening to sermons all through the week. But here's the tragedy. All of those are great. All of those are fantastic. I mean, I read many books other than the Bible throughout the year. But you hear me say this all the time. Read the Bible most. Read the Bible first and read it the most. Because all the other things that are going on, what I'm doing right now, preaching a sermon from God's Word, it's a little bit like these right here. Now, these are dietary supplements right? Some of you need more iron in your diet. Some of you need more vitamin C because you don't eat the proper things, whatever. So what do we do? We pop a little dietary supplement and we, and we go on, on, on with our life. But imagine trying to sustain your life on dietary supplements. How would you feel? How would your life change? It'd be pretty miserable. That's the equivalent. And, and the tragedy is, I believe many Christians are trying to live their spiritual life on dietary supplements. They pop a pill on Sunday. If they're really spiritual, they pop another one on their commute on Tuesday by listening to a podcast. Some are amazingly spiritual, and they get a multivitamin through uh, some book that they're reading, right? Read the Word yourself. Bible study and Bible reading is a spiritual discipline. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. This is a separate sermon, but that might mean turn off the TV. That might mean put down the phone. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here's a few things about spiritual disciplines. That word spiritual disciplines is big, scary, and in bold letters. I did that on purpose. Because sometimes I think we hear the word discipline, we go, ah, that sounds really frightening. That sounds like a lot of work. I don't know if I'm going to tackle that one this year. Maybe next year when I'm a mature Christian. Here's spiritual disciplines. Catch this. They can be practiced by anyone and are a normal part of the Christian life. We live in like workout capital of the world. People here are insanely concerned and thinking about being fit, about working out. Everywhere you go, you will see people Uh, you know, buying the clothes, talking things, reading articles, up on their diet, all kinds of stuff. And our spiritual fitness is often lacking. Spiritual disciplines aren't for the theologically advanced. you want to hear the prerequisite for starting a, a, a spiritual discipline? Here it is. Ready? A longing for God. That's it. A longing for God. That's what it takes to start pursuing a spiritual discipline. No great class you have to take, no time period that that you've been a Christian, no no training from from anything else. Spiritual disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. I don't know who said it, but someone put it this way. Here's the image I have in my mind. I'm going to butcher the exact quote. But someone talked about spiritual disciplines is, is you as a thirsty person, a longing for God going and sitting in a, in a river bed, a dry river bed. And you figure that when the rains come, that's the place to be to fill up with water. So you put yourself in that little dry river bed of spiritual disciplines, and it may not be that day one you get your thirst quenched, or day two or day three, but you've placed yourself in the path of God's blessing. That's spiritual disciplines. Here's a quick caution. Turning any of the spiritual disciplines into the prize itself is death. So, for instance, Jesus talks about whitewashed tombs. You might want to go read about that as you start picking up spiritual disciplines. Here's what he says in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. So if you miss the person behind the words, you'll end up, as just not a very nice person. You'll use all your theological knowledge, all your discipline, and you'll start to just look down on other people. So just because you're going through the form doesn't necessarily mean that you're practicing it. God is the prize of the scripture. Now, here's a really, really common thing that I think a lot of well-meaning Christians come to in saying, I've got a couple of roadblocks um, for me when it comes to, to Bible reading. Some people just remember last year and feel kind of down about it. You know, Dave, you got us all fired up. I started a Bible reading program, and by February, I was, uh, I was already off track. You know what I say to that? Praise God. For a month and several days, you were in God's Word reading daily. That's awesome. That's really, really good. Several of my kids started a Bible reading program and haven't finished. One of them is back in, in, in August. You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep working through that Bible program. So if a year Bible program turns into a year and a half or two-year Bible program, who cares? You're feeding yourself on God's Word. That's awesome. That's really, really good. So be hopeful about it. Here's a common one. This is really, really hard and it feels like work to read the Bible, so I'm going to wait until it feels right. Here's the answer I would say to that. Do you know that every relationship you are in is a choice to love or not to love? It's a choice to pursue and engage Or a choice not to pursue and engage? And do you know that every relationship you are currently in will at some point require a great deal of effort on your part? And it will feel like work. But we're in love! I know. Trust me. At times, it will feel like work. Inside your heads, there are some hearty amens going on right now. I can hear it. You're just not one to say it because your spouse is next to you or the person you're in struggle with is nearby. Any relationship requires work. It's no different with pursuing God. So maybe you're asking this how can I move from duty to, to delight? And I have this longing. I, I want it to be a want to, but it always feels like I have to. How do I do that? How do I move from that? Listen to Psalm 119, 24. Your statutes, your written words, are my delight. Now, some of you could give great testimony to where this is true in your life on a regular basis. Others of you are in a a drier season where you say, it's not the case for me. Others of you have never felt that way about God's word. Let me nudge you towards something as to how maybe this can move from duty to delight. It's not a magic cure-all or else I'd write a book and make lots of money on it. Here's the answer. Ready? Christian, if you are wanting to read God's word, but it feels like duty, and then when it feels like duty, you actually feel kind of guilty, don't you? Like, I don't want this to feel like duty. I want to be delighted in this. But it just does. I can't help how I feel. It feels like hard work. Here's what I'd say. Remember your adoption. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Just listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God... Catch this part. As beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Frame your Bible study not as workout, not as advancement, not as have to. Frame it in the in the in the position of being a beloved son or daughter of God. I think that will that will be that will go a long way to starting to nurture delight in your Bible reading. I want to always preach truthfully up here, and so I want to tell you some things that Bible, Bible study won't do. I want to be really, really crystal clear so we walk away with this. Bible study won't save you. Uh, Jesus does that. He gives you the faith, and even uh, when you take a step toward him, that's, that's God drawing you toward him. But Bible study, as an effort, as a discipline, that doesn't save you. Secondly, Uh, Bible study doesn't earn you favor with God. You know who earns you favor with God? Jesus. So I don't know if your brain ever goes this way, but but my my brain used to go here a lot. I've really messed up. I better read some Bible to kind of make up for it. I'm going to straighten out, but I also need to read some Bible to kind of uh, atone for my sin, to make payment for my sin. It doesn't work that way. You know what else Bible study won't do? It doesn't make up for sin. Only Jesus' sacrifice atones for sin sin. I want you to look at those three things and I want you to smile. That right there on the screen is great news. That's the gospel right there. Our work, our effort, none of that. That doesn't earn us favor with God. That doesn't save us. That doesn't make up for past sin. Phew, that's great news. Duty or delight. Do you see that? I think part of the duty component is this right here. I better work and do something positive because it's been a mess of a week. None of that is true. There's one more I'm going to give you. It doesn't fit in with cultural norms. Here's what I mean by that. Cultural norms is microwave, right? You're hungry, you put something in the freezer, punch it, eat it. Um, many of us have smartphones. So, uh, you know, we were, talking, we were talking not long ago, uh, and someone had a question about. This And instead of getting in a log argument now about who the drummer was for that 70s band or whatever, that that, that happens no more. Why? Because at our fingertips, we pull it up and we go, oh, it was that person. Done. Like, we have such instant gratification on almost every front of life that to come to God's plan of reading the scripture feels awfully different. It will not fit in with cultural norms. You know what the Bible doesn't tend to do? It doesn't tend to thrill you but it nourishes you. Nourishment doesn't get headlines like thrilling does, right? So, so I have to actually reframe my brain sometimes to go, okay, this isn't an episode of Seinfeld that's going to have 37 cuts in it and move, and move along. God, would you just slow me down and get nourished today by your word? So it doesn't fit in with culture. Here's some application for you. Number one is to start now. Sometimes I think we wait for the ideal time. We wait to get our life straightened out. We wait to um, you know, to uh, find time. Here's what I'd say. Take time. Make time. The absolute truth of it is we all make time for what's important to us. So take time. You go out and you redeem time. There's all kinds of ways to listen to the Bible now for free. Find them. If you don't want to find them, I will actually help you. Come talk to me. I will point you to them. I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I used to listen to to talk radio, politics and sports. People arguing all the way to work, all the way home from work. And I've I've decided to redeem my commute and begin listening to God's word read out loud. And it's totally transformed my attitude as I walk into work, my attitude as I come home from work. There's a thought. Find time. Redeem the time. So start now. Here's another thing. Start with prayer. Prayer. The heart is vastly important. We know this from Scripture. So your heart moving into Bible reading is more important, your heart and attitude and motivation are more important than the, than the word count, than where you read in the Scripture. Because of that, start with prayer. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, 18 is a great prayer to pray before you open God's Word to have a little daily meal. Here it is. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. In that prayer, by the way, here's what you could say. God, I'm a beloved child of yours. That will never change. As I open the word and read today, help me remember that. You see how that frames it along those lines. Here's the third one. Read for the pure joy of conversing with God. You want to know how to hear from God? Read his word. You want to know how to hear from God? Let someone else read his word to you. Let it come into your ears. There's something different about hearing for some of us. I'm a, I, I love to hear God's word read out loud to me. Here's the fourth and final one I'm going to give you. Act on what you read. If you don't act on what you read, you know what happens? You actually begin to accumulate more and more judgment for yourself. As we learn more and more of what not to do and all the good things that we ought to do and don't act, do you see how that's like a reservoir of responsibility? We can't claim, I had no idea because we've learned more and more and more and more, and we haven't acted on it. I believe the Bible's easier to understand as you go put things into practice. I believe God opens up more of of our eyes and more of our understanding as we put into practice. If I have a student that isn't going to do a single thing I'm going to do, I'm not going to keep giving them more. That's ludicrous. That's not what they need is to have more information. Choose beforehand who the ruler is. Purpose in your heart to say, God, you're the ruler. I'm submitting myself to your word. I will do anything and everything that you tell me to do in your word. you know what this means? This means your quiet time isn't always comfy cozy. I tend to really enjoy a cup of coffee and a warm blanket on a cold day if I'm opening my Bible to read or my iPad to read. You know what? That's a comfy cozy little picture. We've got a nice bay window. That's often where I sit. Internally, not so comfy cozy. Why? Because as we read the Bible, the Bible reads us, right? And as the truth of the Bible comes into our life, it confronts us with sinful attitudes. confronts us with theories that say, this needs to change. It confronts us with with a person in a story in a parable, and you go, wow, that's me. That's me to a T. And that's not who I want to be. So when we decide to act, when we purpose to act, reading the Bible and having a quiet time is absolutely life-transformational but not always perfectly restful. Now, we all know why crumbs go flying when this guy eats cookies, right? Why is that? Because he has no throat, he has no stomach, he has no digestive tract. There's nowhere for the food to go, right? Now, this, this is a little bit like I think that some people who... who read God's Word and digest God's Word, I think it's a little bit like Cookie Monster. I really do. There's a lot of activity. There's reading. There's turning of the pages. There's taking good notes. But but instead of going down and being digested and getting all the nutrients that cookies have to offer, it just kind of goes flying every which way. Look at James chapter 1. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word He will be blessed in his doing. Doers of the word who act, catch this, will be blessed in their doing. As we focus this morning on being people who are doing the works of God, we must do them in a God-centered, God-empowered way. And the Bible tells us clearly what that is. Here's part of it. Read the Word with the intent to do the Word, then act obediently by walking in the Word, and God will bless you for doing what the Word says. So church, here's my plea to you as we start into orphan care and thinking about that for the next few weeks together. Be men and women and children of the Word. That will go so much further than any powerful illustration I could do, any, any Bible study that I, could, that I could draw up, is to know that our congregation, to know that our people are opening and being fed themselves between Sundays. So I plead with you to open the word. Um, some people in the last eight years that I've been at NBC Some people have come, and they've just humbled themselves enough to say this. You know, I'm ashamed to say it. I've been a Christian for a long time. I should know by now, but I don't really know where to start. I've never really done this. No one's ever modeled this for me. Can you help? You know what my response is? Shame on you. No, I'm kidding. You know what it is? I mean, I think... I think that's what they think they might hear, because that's why they haven't come before. My word to a person who does that—I—I—I get—I'm I'm getting chills thinking about it right now, because of people who have come and humbled themselves to place themselves in a place to learn. They are coming like children and saying, "You know what? You know whose reputation no longer matters to me—mine. You know whose will and reputation and kingdom I'm going to be all about building." His And when I see that, what I see standing before me is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. It really is. There's nothing in the flesh that wants to come and admit neediness. There's everything in the Spirit that says, come as a child, come and learn. If you don't know, ask. Ask for help. And so we we begin to walk through the scriptures. And I say, hey, why don't you start here? Why don't you try this? And then people's lives begin to get transformed. In changing gears today, um, and in thinking now about uh, orphans around the world and and close by, um, I'll let you know up front, I really hope to change your mind about a few things. I hope to change your mind this morning about adoption. I hope to change your mind about your role, potentially, in the orphan crisis, and I hope to change your mind about the size and the power of the God that we worship and sing about. Um, I was really moved from the orphan crisis on this planet being someone's problem that someone ought to do something about, to it being our problem, meaning the churches, Christians, that I should do something about. I was moved from one place to another place, but it was painful and it was it was it was it was over time. It was pretty slow. I grew up going to church, so I grew up hearing from missionaries. I grew up hearing about need in the world. I wasn't sheltered to think that this is, this is how everyone lives on this planet. But as I look back on it, what I realize is this. I was exposed to a lot of need around the world. I was given opportunity to go and kind of toe dip into depressed areas, areas of great need, being exposed to the reality that there are kids growing up vulnerable without families. But, but while I was given those opportunities, and I, I really do think God uses this in all his timing. I don't think I could have handled it um, earlier. But what I realized is I, I was able to go and kind of slip into these places for a short season and, and re- return to my kind, of, my, my kind of safety net. And so what, what happened was I was able to kind of engage and think about it for a week at a time maybe, but, but then pull back and be a little bit more sheltered from it. It's really, really heavy to think on and ponder all these beautiful kids who are sitting in our midst growing up vulnerable and exposed and without families. So I grew up, uh, again, um, offering aid, I, I think, as best I could, and, and participating in some things. I always admired those who, who kind of took a larger scale leap into the, the orphan crisis, into some of the things that were going on. I remember very distinctly, my youth pastor had challenged me to read the book of James every single day for one whole month. And so for 30 days, I read the book of James. And at the end of James chapter 1 is that passage talking about pure and undefiled worship. Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you care for orphans and widows in their distress and that you keep yourself unstained from the world. I read that 30 times as a high schooler in a row. That had an impact on me. Those verses weren't easy to, to just kind of gloss over. One of the people who had a real heart for this and who kind of was was looking to jump into this larger than, than uh, most of the rest of us was my wife. And some of you know this, but just to give some context for, for our family, um, she had this dream from the time she was in junior high. She kind of envisioned, in fact, last night at dinner, she didn't know I was going to say this, but last night at the dinner table, she said, Dave, this is how I imagined it. And I said, what? Usually, my wife sits right next to me, and I sit kind of here. She was at the other end of the table, and I was here. And she said, this is how I always kind of envisioned it in junior high, that we'd be opposite ends, me and my husband, and there would be multicolored faces on either side. Ten of them. Ten multicolored faces on either That's five a side if you're poor with math. <laughs> so... So I'm looking across, I'm looking across at, at my bride one day, and, and she's telling me this, and I'm like, wow, I so admire that in you, Becky. That's such a neat dream. And it really didn't dawn on me as her husband by this point that that would include me. I thought that was kind of neat for her. And so as we talked further and prayed more, God was kind of softening my heart toward the whole process. And um, And the way that our story unfolded is this, that, um, that, that we, had, uh, we had two boys and then we had a girl. And we'd always kind of dreamed of, of having biological kids, one of each. And after that, we would begin to pursue adoption. And so after Briley came along, our oldest daughter, uh, we began to kind of, kind of look that way. And, um, and I, had, I had probably one really big fear. My, my biggest fear, a lot of people get tripped up by a lot of different things. My, my biggest fear was this. God, how on earth could we possibly afford to go down the process of adoption? And not just the initial hurdle of notary work and travel and paperwork and all of that, um, but, but the ongoing expense of, of adding a child and a mouth to feed and all those kinds of things. So my wife um, invited me to go to this, this um, eight-hour-long eight seminar at a church. And so for me, you guys might remember our Step of Yes series where God calls us to do things. He doesn't ask us to go jump to the top of Mount Everest. He says, take a step, right? So my Step of Yes was this. Becky says, hey, would you just come to this, uh, to this conference? I said, okay, I'll come. So for eight hours I thought, you know what? I can do that. I can invest eight hours to come and start to start to kind of figure out what resources are available, start to answer questions, start to really dive into what would it be like to have someone of a different race? What would it be like to have someone from a different country? What would it be like to have someone who might have a special need and and some 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 difficulties uh, entering into our family? And in that one eight-hour conference. Um, God really did something in me. And it was totally unbeknownst to Becky at the time. But what God said to me in that moment was this. God, um, God really showed to me this. Um, Dave, I'm calling your family to this, um, which means you're a part of this. And I want you to get out in front and lead. I want you to get out in front and lead. And what I knew that meant was this. Becky still in our family is the adoption expert. She, she is more research. She knows more of the details uh, and, and the whole big picture that, than I do by far. So it didn't mean that I had to go be that person. I was going to let Becky be that person. But I was to go out and lead our family in this. And you know what? Um, instead of being filled with anxiety, I was actually filled with peace. I was really filled with peace after this eight hours because I thought, you know what? God, if you're calling us to this, then that means you've got my hand, and that means you're blocking, and that means you're providing, and that means you're providing bridges, and that means you're winning battles for me in this. And it was totally this this kind of peace that kind of came over me. So we began to pursue um, adoption in that moment, and uh, as you'll get to hear uh, probably further on in this series, there were some ups and downs to it. Our first adoption um, actually, didn't take. We were well into the process of adopting from the country of Georgia um, when, when the country of Georgia shut its doors um, to all international adoption unexpectedly and suddenly. And in almost the same breath, Becky became. Uh, fairly unexpectedly pregnant. So we had a fourth biological child. And, and we said, okay, God, uh, we were heading in this direction. We, we were pretty convinced we were following where you wanted us to go. Uh, clearly, you want us to have one more biological child, at least. And so we will, we will gladly welcome Tegan into our family. And that shifted our attention um, elsewhere. I like that Tegan just raised the roof when I said that. Um, <clears throat> I want to be careful because um, as... Um, as, as we share our story, I, I don't try to tend to share ours a, a whole bunch because what I what I'm be careful of is this. I, I don't want this to be about the Carlsons. I don't want this to be about us or a small handful who've, who've adopted. This really is a Christian concept to care and love for orphans. And as we're going to see, it's not just in the book of James in some obscure passage This is something that comes up over and over and over in the scriptures. I want to root the context of the orphan crisis in our own redemption story. In every Christian's story of rescue is the theme of adoption. And as we move forward in this, I want to to draw in everyone who's made that profession of faith and is in the family of God to see that really, really clearly. Here's my motive. I don't want it to be those poor orphans. I want it to be this understanding that I was once an orphan. I am adopted. And not just in some cute kind of metaphorical way that we can dismiss, but in a very real sense that that's exactly how we're grafted into the family of God. And it shows off God's power when you see his adopting power. I don't know of any worship song or hymn that talks about God's adopting power, but he's powerful to adopt us in, to make us. He has the force, to, to, to the, 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 the power to make us members of his, of his family. And I want to show that to you this morning. So as former orphans, we care about orphans. And not just about them like it's a cause, but but we care for them like they're people, because they are. You know, Christians for a long time have been obeying the clear and simple command of God to care for widows and orphans in their distress. In ancient Rome, there was a practice called exposing. And what happened was this. When a baby was born, it was brought to the father's feet. And the father had every right legally and completely empowered to accept that child into the family or to reject that child as not a part of the family. And as horrifying as this is, it was normal, common, legal practice to take the rejected children who were brought to the father and for whatever reason rejected from the family to the outer parts of the city and to leave them there to die. Some died of exposure, some died from wild animals, but they were left out there to fend for themselves, which, of course, they couldn't. It's well documented that Christians, the early church, would go to the outer parts of the city, go to the children who were in need, and they would reverse the verdict. They would accept the child in. Instead of exposure, they would cover them. They would bring them in and say, you're claimed, you're mine, you're now a part of our family. And beyond just doing that, they actually worked toward transferring or transforming the laws to making that illegal, defending the cause of the fatherless. I think about often, what history would look back on this day and age and say about a variety of issues. But one of them is the orphan crisis in the world. I wonder what history would say of Christians in America in this day and age about what was being done to defend the cause of the fatherless around the world. When I look at ancient Rome, we look at that and we're moved by that. Some of us are just thinking, well, that's the right thing to do. Of course they would go and do that. We have our own opportunities right now. Why have Christians from ancient Rome until present day, why are they doing this? Why are they going out to the exposed children and covering them? You know why? Because they're mimicking their father. That's what their father does. Let me tell you a couple of big theological words. One is regeneration. In regeneration, God gives us New spiritual life within. We talk about that a lot. It's being born again. In the idea of justification, which the Bible talks a lot about, it's that God gives us right legal standing before him. We would all praise God and think God is good and glorious if he stopped here, but he didn't. Part of the power of you reading your Bible every day as a beloved child is you will come across this a lot. God chose to build into the fabric of how he revealed himself to us this idea of adoption. In adoption, God makes us members of his family. So to understand the theology of adoption utterly transforms your heart and your motive to love the orphan. Let me bring the band up right now. We're going to sing a couple of more songs and I'm going to come up and share a few more thoughts before we go this morning. As we do, um, I want you, before looking out to the numbers that we just read about, to the faces that we might think about, to different locales that might come to mind, I want you to look in. I want you to look in, and as we sing, as we sing the, the, the songs um, that are going to highlight this, Think about your own adoption. Think about what it is to be a member of God's own family. Let me have you open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 1. You know, every single person in this room, every single person that you'll lay eyes on this week, longs to be delighted in. I was down in Morgan Hill on New Year's Day, and I kind of rode by downtown Morgan Hill. There's about 20 Harley guys, all with their leathers on, and and uh, looking pretty tough, had all their, all their motorcycles lined up. And um, if I had more courage, I would have said, you long to be delighted in. I didn't. Uh, but I thought that. I, I thought, you know, even the most tough looking dude, who, who would never maybe admit it for fear of looking weak, he longs to be delighted in. It, it's actually hardwired into our design. Adoption is God's delight. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. New Living Translation translates it in a way that lands fresh on my ears. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what we just sang about. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great joy. Pleasure. It gave God great pleasure to adopt wayward sinners into his family. So a simple truth I want you to remember uh, moving forward this morning is this. I want you to think of the word adopted as equivalent with wanted. When I was growing up, there was sometimes on the schoolyard uh, something tossed out, well, yeah, well, you were adopted. And it was meant as some kind of a put-down. Adopted is a word I believe we should recapture and redeem it. If you're adopted, that becomes your prize, not your shame. Instead of it meaning uh, uh, some kind of a title that you're ashamed of, instead of it meaning unwanted or unclaimed or hiding that truth, let it be that you were chosen. Let it be that you were delighted in. Let it be that you were the apple of your father's eye. That's how we ought to view adoption. As a Christian, I'm adopted and that means I'm a full beneficiary heir to the king of the universe. And it means that I have brothers and sisters in every full, in fact, more full than physical brothers and sisters are because they're for eternity. I am, I am brought into a family. And it means I'm delighted in. Do you see how beautiful it is that we weren't just regenerated or justified, but that we were adopted by God into his family? Why adoption? Why love orphans? Because we understand what it is that's been done to us. Adopting orphans, and I would add, include into that, at-risk, wayward, troubled kids, isn't just a concern of God, but it's a priority. And we can see that just by the sheer uh, number of times that it's worked into Scripture We love as Christians because he first loved us. We comfort and take in because God's love comforted and took us in. God's love is proactive and God's love is costly and so ours will be the same. It's not only that we're commanded to do this repeatedly in Scripture, But it's also modeled by the Father and built into the very way that we relate to God. Here again, Jesus speaking in John chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's purposeful. It's active love. Each time that you come across this in the scriptures, it's leaping off the page, especially as you begin to see kind of the totality of scripture. It leaps off the page, this message. You are wanted, I chose you, I delight in you. So there will be whole aspects to this month that will be really, really hard. As we look at the need, as we open our eyes to it, as we spotlight it, it will be difficult. But I also really pray for and believe that this month's going to be really, really hopeful. As God moves us along, as God actually begins, instead of filling us with with anxiety, actually filling us with peace and filling us with movement. I don't know how you're responding to this, but at different seasons in my life, I think I've probably touched on all of these. But a common response to seeing these kind of crushing statistics, one is guilt. One is just saying, gosh, I should have been doing more. Another one is idealism. Idealism says, man, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get in there. Let's fix this thing only to be sometimes burned out a little bit later. Sometimes people um, respond with, with duty. You know, I, I guess someone ought to be doing something. I guess I better go get to work and do this. Some people in the fight or flight mode, just flight. They just ignore it. Quickly change the channel, not come back next week. I, I don't want to look at this. This is, this is gut-wrenching, and I don't want to, to, to really see that. I think all of those are common. So if you're feeling those, welcome to the human race. Um, but let's move beyond that. I hope another one that overwhelms us is hope. I hope as we begin to see that God loves these children far more than we ever will, and God has provided care for them in his church, that, that we begin to, to actually have hope. There's a certain culture in this church that this isn't really so much of an issue. These are people. You're going to get to hear from some stories in our own community. Um, Jaden is a name that comes to mind, along with Sarah and Joe and Cassie and Eli and Kaya. So we have some names and faces that we put to this. So it's not just kind of a cause out there, but these these are people. I really believe God is calling more of us to adopt, both formally and informally. Formally meaning legally going and adopting. Informally are. There are some powerful stories in this room. Uh, there was no legal transaction. There was no judge. But for all intents and purposes, in every sense of the word, just like a spiritual family, uh, some of you have adopted people into your home and, and made them a part of your family. And that's without question. Adopting is the front lines of the battle, and it's an important role. But I want you to think of it kind of like a running back. So a running back is handed the ball. For the running back to do his role, there's a whole team of people that have to be functioning well in their role for the ball to move forward. And so while I believe that some are calling God to adopt from our own church community, not just now but in the future, we will look for those. But there's a whole team of people Coaches and trainers, people transporting, cheerleaders cheering them on, and people blocking for them, looking out for them. Christian, if it's not adoption for you, you are to love and care for orphans in some other way. A part of this month might be just a journey figuring out what that looks like. I don't know if you've ever been on a sports team and you've fallen behind in the score, but what happens when one person on the sports team tries to do it all? Disaster, right? You lose the game every time when you start trying to do other people's roles because you're behind. You know the way you chip away when you're behind in sports? You do your job to the best of your ability. You know and understand your position and you kill it. That's how you do it. And there's got to be a lot of trust on other people in the team doing their job. Here's, Here's my message to you, church. Do your part your very best. Whatever role you have in this, do that to your utmost, joyfully to the glory of God. If that's adoption, great. If that's foster care, awesome. If that's physically traveling over and bringing back reports so we can know better how to help, amazing. If it's to quietly pray and no one knows you're doing it, Pray. Don't you dare not do your role to your very best. This will be a complete team effort to move forward in this. One of the ways that we do that around here is community groups. We don't push a lot of programs for a really simple reason. We don't have a lot of programs. We have the commitment to come and gather as God's family on Sunday mornings. We want to lift up his name. We want to hear the stories from the community. We want to sing. We want to give our offerings. We want to be with one another. And in the midweek, we want to carve out time to sit and look FaceTime with some of our brothers and sisters. We want to be heard and we want to hear. And we realize that takes place when we carve out time for the family of God. It's just showing up with family. Um, Right now, if you're a community group leader, would you stand up for a moment? I want to just... Introduce our community group leaders. Um, so we have we have three of them that are uh, that are regularly uh, happening. These are open to everyone. Uh, there's not kind of a specific demographic to them. This is John Garza. Uh, John meets Sundays second hour through that wall, um, and uh, and their their community group is you know is here and, and rolling every single um, every single Sunday. Um, Les Albert in the back, would you raise your hand? Um, Less is Tuesday nights uh 7.30. Uh, these guys both will have some of these cards. Um, this one with John Garza's mug on it talks about his community group. It's really simple. We've made this really uh, simple to follow. Um, the only distinction I would say about Lesses is that um, children are not at that community group. Is that correct? Yeah. They don't eat children or they don't, yeah, they, they just aren't there is what it is. So you need to find... Um, your children, something else to do with your children if you attend the Meridian one. Um, Phil Nemec, where's Phil? Is Phil not in here? Phil, uh, leads one on Friday nights at 6 p.m. Um, it is, uh, it is at the Pang Home. I'm kind of, uh, a, a couple of miles from here. There's two women's focused ones, um, that are, that are going on where, where the ladies of our church come and gather. One is Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Um, another one is Wednesday morning at 9.30. Uh, Naomi and, uh, and Heather Jackson lead those. I lead a men's group on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. We meet back here. We'll be starting back up this Thursday. And then we have two different youth-focused ones. Ben, who's not here this morning, leads some for high school and junior high. And we have a college 20-age something that goes on. So we, we literally hit it all with, with everyone. Let me say it openly and up front. You do not need to be a Christian to attend a community group. Um, we, have, we have people that come, and they want to enter into the conversation. They, 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 they want to figure out what this is about. There's no prerequisite for coming to these. I would invite you or ask you to, to let the community group leader know. Uh, if you want to find out more information, you can certainly talk to them. Each week this month, um, I'm going to be giving you something really, really tangible to do with what you hear from, from the front. And as I prayed and thought through how do we start this off, Um, This is our first Sunday of the month, so kids, welcome. Love having you in service with us. It's almost over. Hang in there. Um, um, Here's what I thought. I thought, you know, uh, uh, this, this week, this opening week on Adoption Month, Orphan Care, is this. I want everyone to take a deep breath and hold it for a count of three. Ready? Let it out. I had you do that. Because that is a physical representation of what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a gift given by God to come and rest. What you ought to be thinking when you come in to worship on Sunday mornings as a Christian is just the word sigh. You get to rest in here. You know what you get to do? You get to cease your striving. You get to stop your work. You get to lay down your title of whatever your job title is. You get to lay that down here. And you get to just receive. You get to receive from the Lord. And that's a really, really good thing. I want to invite the band up right now. And as we sing, I actually want you to do something. I told you I'd give you tangible times of uh, ways to respond i want to actually invite you you don't have to do this but as we pray in just a moment i'm going to lead us in a time of silence which is the easiest part of my job description i just sit quietly for a few moments and as we do that i want you to just rest before god God has a way in the community of his people, his family coming together, of lifting burdens, doesn't he? Of taking anxiety that we've taken on wrongfully and taking them back. I don't even want you to actively run through your brain and think of all those things there. I just want you to sit there before the Lord. And this may feel a little bit weird to you, but it might be really helpful to you. I want to invite you as you're sitting there quietly before the Lord um, to consider taking your hands... And just as a physical way of, of representing kind of where your heart is at and what, and what Sabbath is about, I want you to consider just taking your hands and if you're sitting down, just laying them on your lap, open-palmed like this. And you can close your eyes and leave your hands open as a way of just, of just saying, God, I'm, I'm here to receive. I'm here to rest in you this morning. You don't need anything from me. You don't need me to whip up a whole organization to save all the orphans of the world. So why don't you close your eyes right now and bow your heads. And if you'd like to, place your hands in an open position. And let's just be quiet before God for a moment. God, thanks for speaking in the silence. Thank you, God, for drawing close this morning those who may have wandered or felt distant or been lied to, that they're not delighted in, that they're not chosen, that they're not longed for by you. Thanks for the worship and humility that's produced in understanding that you have adopted us into your family, God. We celebrate that. I pray that we would wear that like a badge of honor the rest of our days. And God, this morning as we begin to focus for a few weeks pretty intensely on the vast need on some really heavy, serious subjects, God, we confess to you it's way beyond us as a church. It's way beyond us as individuals, as couples, as families. God, this is your fight. This is on your heart. We avail ourselves to you. I pray, God, that you would reveal to people in our church specific ways that they can step in and act. God, we give you the rest of this morning. We give you our lives afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.